1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll find out what's new with Boo Mortensen. Boo Mortensen up in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll be with us as well as my wife Linda, who writes uh, greetings from paradise about what's going on here on the Paradise Coast. It is June the twenty-second, and on this day in two thousand eleven, after sixteen years on the run from law enforcement, James Whitey Bulger, a violent Boston mob boss wanted for nineteen murders, was arrested in Santa Monica, California. The eighty-one-year-old Bulger, one of FBI's most ten most wanted fugitives, was arrested with his longtime companion, sixty-year-old Catherine Gregg. Who fled Massachusetts with the gangster in the late 1994, shortly before he was to be indicted on federal criminal charges? At the time of his 2011 arrest, there was a $2 million reward for information leading to his capture. There he was hiding in plain sight, the largest ever offered by an agency for a domestic fugitive. Born in Massachusetts in 1929 and raised in South Boston Housing Project, Bulger, who earned the nickname as a child for his light blonde hair, served time in federal prison in the 50s and 60s for bank robbery. Afterward, he returned to Boston, where he eventually built an organized crime empire with partner Stephen Flemmie. At the time, the two men were involved with drug trafficking, extortion, murder, and other illegal activities that were serving since uh, the mid-70s. As FBI informants, it providing uh, information about rival mobsters in return for protection from prosecution, so they're doing all this bad stuff, and we were protected as FBI informants. After a rogue FBI agent tipped off Bulger that he would soon be arrested on racketeering charges, Bulger disappeared in late uh, December 1994. John Connolly, the agent who tipped off Bulger, was later convicted on charges of racketeering, obstruction of justice, and second-degree murder. Despite an international manhunt, Bulger eluded authorities for over a decade and a half. Then, on June twentieth, two 2011, the FBI employed a new tactic by airing a public service announcement focused on Greg, Bulger's companion. The ad, which is across the U.S., where the mobster was uh, thought to have been once lived in or had contracts, was aimed at female viewers who might have seen Greg who underwent a variety of cosmetic surgeries as a beauty parlor or a doctor's office, based on one of the tips they received, FBI agents staked out Balger and Greg, then going by the names of Charles and Carol Gasco, They arrested them without incident at a modest two-bedroom Southern California apartment building they had long called home. Law enforcement officials uh, found weapons, fake identification, and more than $800,000 stashed in Bulger's apartment. He later revealed to them that during his years on the lam, he had traveled frequently to such places as Boston, Mexico, and Las Vegas, armed and sometimes in disguise. Amazing stuff. After the arrest... Bulger and Greg were returned to Boston. In June 2012, as part of a plea agreement, Greg was sentenced to eight years in prison for helping Bulger remain in hiding. The following summer, Bulger went on trial, and on August 12, 2013, he was convicted in a federal court in Boston of 31 on, of 32 counts against him, including participating in 11 murders and other criminal activities. On November the 14th, 2013, a federal judge was sentenced to Bulger to two life terms in prison plus five years. He died, died while incarcerated on October the 30th, 2018. Whitey Bulger, but his uh, brother, as I recall, was at one time the president of the University of Massachusetts. His brother had also a very successful uh, political career, as I recall. Could be apocryphal, but I, I think I remember that. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis scored a major political victory for the Sunshine State's cruise industry on Friday after taking on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which he said effectively placed a vaccine passport mandate on the industry. The federal district court in Tampa ruled in favor of Florida's motion for a preliminary injunction, include, concluding the CDC's guidelines are likely unconstitutional and overstepping their legal authority in claiming a startlingly mag- magnified power. DeSantis' office announced the political victory on Friday evening, relaying Judge Stevens Mariday's conclusion that the government agency's restrictions are likely unconstitutional and overstepping their authority. Because of the administration's lawsuits, ships will be able to set sail without being caught in the middle attempting to walk the line between following the government guidelines and breaking Florida's law. But beginning July the 18th, the CDC's orders will become mere guidance and cruise ships will hit the open waters, once again free from the CDC, his office announced. It's great news. Congratulations. Our governor, I think, doing a great job. And this is just another instance where he's fighting to keep us free as opposed to uh, unconstitutional lockdowns and mandates and considerations uh, for our First Amendment and Second Amendment rights. Uh, he said, "Today, we are securing this, this victory for Florida families, for the cruise industry, and for every state that wants to preserve its rights in the face of unprecedented federal overreach." So, congratulations. By the way, uh, the uh, this month, Celebrity Cruise announced uh, that two passengers aboard their Celebrity Millennium tested positive for the Chinese coronavirus, despite its status as a fully vaccinated ship. How'd that happen? <laughs> That's kind of strange, huh? Well, uh, goes to another story, which we're not going to cover today, but there's a lot of folks that are getting very sick uh, after getting the uh, vaccine and uh, some in heart problems, all kinds of things. We'll cover that at another time. Maybe I'll talk about it with uh, Linda later in the show. On December the 8th, 2020, when most of America was consumed with uh, The Guardian called Donald Trump's desperate, mendacious, frenzied, and sometimes farcical attempt to remain president, the Senate's Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee held a hearing on the medical response to COVID-19. One of the witnesses, a pulmonologist named Dr. Pierre Corey, insisted he had great news. We have a solution to the crisis, he said. Unequivocally, there is a drug that is proving to have a miraculous impact. He's referring to a FDA-approved medicine called intervectmectin. A genuine wonder drug in other realms, Intermectin had all but eliminated parasitic diseases like river blindness and elephantitis, helping discovered, uh, discover Sotashi Omura with the Nobel Prize in 2015. As far as its uses in the pandemic went, however, research was still scant. Could it really be a magic COVID-19 bullet? Corey has been trying to make such a case, but complained to the Senate that public efforts had been stifled because every time we mention Intervectin, we get uh, put on in Facebook jail. A Catch-22 seems to be ensnaring science. With the world desperate uh, for news about the unprecedented disaster, Silicon Valley had essentially decided to disallow discussion of a potential solution, disallow calls for more research and more study, because not enough research and study had been done. Of course, we've got this vaccine being used on an emergency basis. And uh, Intervectin and uh, and, uh I- Uh, hydroxychloroquine have been around four years. Hydroxychloroquine have been around four years. Once people weren't allowed to take drugs before they got the FDA approval, now they can't talk about them. Uh, What's going on with this? This doesn't make any sense at all. It seems to me, and my theory, just to cut to the chase about this, uh, is Corey, I've seen him uh, on uh, a couple of shows, and he's quite credible. What I believe is the... uh, the pharmaceutical industry wanted to come out with these vaccines and to come up with therapeutic like intermectin would uh, certainly dampen the enthusiasm for the vaccines and perhaps uh, make that a, a non-issue if therapeutics would solve the problems. Uh, so I think the uh, pharmaceutical industry decided to uh, really put pressure on, for example, the CDC and on Fauci and others to squash the the effectiveness, or the announcement of the effectiveness of these drugs, of these therapeutics, and consequently keep the uh, vaccines on track to solve the problem. I've heard estimates that <clears throat> the uh, pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer will make over a hundred billion dollars over five years as a result of this ploy and what's going on right now. And of course, there's a lot of bad results as a re- from the vaccines for finding out that. I've got actually got a chart here. See if I can pull this, pull this up. Uh, there's, uh, been f- since, uh, there's been since there's been 358 thousand reports of VIRS COVID vaccine data. Now this is the uh, vaccine adverse effects reporting system. 5,993 deaths of people that had the vaccine. 20,737 hospitalizations, 47,837 urgent care visits, 65,623 office visits, and 1,538 anaphylaxis uh, events, and uh, 1,868 Bell's palsy cases, uh, 6,157 life-threatening circumstances, 2,323 heart attacks, Uh, 1,342 myocarditis uh, situations, and 1,671 thrombose, thrombose, uh, I can't even pronounce this, low platelets is what it amounts to. So as you can see, 692 miscarriages and 16,275 severe allergic reactions. So the results from the vaccines have uh, been very mixed and uh, some people, of course, have uh, done quite quite well. While others have certainly suffered. Well, as even 5,000, almost 6,000 deaths after the vaccines. I myself have a friend that uh, died. I don't know that uh, what his circumstances were, but he was a very healthy guy and died uh, shortly after the vaccines became available. I'm not sure what his situation was. In any event, uh, uh, we should make these. Therapeutics available as soon as possible. Uh, this is to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples longest established air conditioning company. Visit Johnson's Airconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Kathleen Pasadomo, our State Senator, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out. ChoiceSocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasademo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. The governor uh, signed 44 bills yesterday. Any uh, that you'd like to note or any thoughts about that? They,
2: uh, well, I just kind of, I just glanced at them. I, you know, I got the list last night. They're, they're pretty far-ranging. Uh, a lot of them are, I guess, for lack of a better term, sort of ministerial tweaks to some of the statutes, some health care bills, some uh, government uh, bills, some of the agency bills, uh, you know, one of them that I thought was interesting was on, uh, um, you know, the alcohol bills. A lot of them were um, non-controversial. In fact, I don't think any of them were
1: controversial. Mm-hmm. I understand. Today, though, is the uh, the signing of the education bill.
2: Yes. Uh, in uh, Fort Myers, actually, uh, I believe. And um, those are the, the charter school bills, the, the choice bills. Um, they're really important uh, for our fam- for Florida families. So, uh, you know, I'm going to try to make that if, if I can. I've been a long day today.
1: Wow. So, it, I understand that uh a lot of your efforts right now are going to re-electing or electing candidates for uh, the 2022 campaign.
2: Yeah, uh, my role as the uh, incoming Senate president for the next year and a half is going to be to. Uh, manage the re-election in 2022, and uh, it's complicated by the fact that we'll be starting our redistricting process this September, so we really don't know where the seats are going to be. Obviously, we have a number—everybody who's running for re-election, so uh, incumbents are our number one priority, and if they're drawn out of their seats, they're going to have to move, and we're going to have to face those challenges.
1: That is so interesting. Uh, any idea, hmm, so when, when will they know, or when will we know, uh, what the new districts are?
2: Uh, not until uh, session, because the uh, redistricting committees will start meeting in uh, September and reviewing proposed maps, uh, you know, looking at the computer system, that kind of thing. And uh, the House and the Senate have the same computer software, so that'll be helpful. And, and then we do the congressional, uh, the the House and the Senate. So we have uh, three committees, and um, they'll meet until. Se- and then we can't actually pass the maps until we're in session, which will be, fortunately, earlier this year.
1: Holy cow, January. that doesn't give a lot of time for candidates to decide where they're going to run and uh, uh, put together a campaign, <laughs> no. does it?
2: Well, the people that are already in office that are running for re-election have that have, they have filed preliminarily to run in their current seats mm-hmm. and automatically what will happen is once the, the districts are redrawn they will move to the move uh, their filing to the district that they want to run in and of course they have to live in that district so they won't have a whole lot of time if their house that they live in now is not in the new district they're going to have to move <laughs> and uh, you know that that's a challenge but it's something that uh, most people are willing to do.
1: Yeah, so interesting. So uh, yeah, yeah, putting your ear to the ground, uh, what's your sense of uh, how are things looking for uh, you know, retaining the House and the Senate?
2: Well, I think we are in pretty good shape for a lot of reasons. First of all, I think it's helpful that uh, Governor DeSantis's approval ratings are very high. Uh, our, our economy has come roaring back as opposed to other states. Florida's the place to be. Um, our tourism economy. Our tourism is picking up exponentially, and our uh, our uh, COVID uh, positives have gone down. So you know he's he's doing the right thing. That'll help us. Uh, the legislature had a very successful session. We passed a lot of meaningful uh, legislation uh, all across the board, and so I, I think I have a good message to deliver to um, constituents. And the people around the state that we want to uh, retain our Republican majority. Absolutely. And in fact, I'd like to pick up a seat. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, well, and, and by the way, the governor just got a nice victory. and uh, uh, We did as Floridians, also uh, in terms of uh, the victory over the CDC.
2: Yeah, he uh, he's very strategic. I, I think I would never uh, discount his. He's actually brilliant. Uh, you know, you can tell by where he went to school. So he's very strategic, very thoughtful. Um and you know, the the accusation pandering to the base I think is is um is is not correct because he's actually doing uh, the things that the most I'd say rational people would approve. So not not that the base is irrational, but it's not just one group of people. Right. I mean, I'm um very supportive of what he's done. I, I think he's he's a right on track for uh, our our state and and i think whether you're um, right left middle the things that we've done have been important and and i think people are going to recognize that
1: i certainly hope so <laughs> do, you, do you think there's any uh, i know nikki freed uh, wants to become governor she uh, the democrat as well as charlie christ i don't know if there's other candidates uh, how secure do you think our governor's looking right now going into
2: 2022 well th- first of all um Commissioner Freed has a lot of baggage. There's a lot of issues, uh, particularly, you know, the way the way she was tied to the marijuana industry. Now, there's nothing wrong with with her supporting it, but she was actually benefiting from it and didn't report it. Ah. So she had to change her her uh, camp, I mean her um, form six, which is our uh, every elected official has to file that showing where their income is. So she kept changing it which means either she is a really bad accountant or things weren't as they, you know, were purported to be. Yeah. Um, and Charlie Christ is kind of flip-flopped in his party affiliation. I don't think that's going to vote well for him. And, you know, but to get back to, it's not like uh, the governor would be like, uh, well, I guess I have to vote for him because I don't like the other two. People are going to vote for Ron DeSantis because they really think he's doing a great job.
1: Yeah, exactly. You
2: can't, you, know, you can't discount that at all.
1: Absolutely, Kathleen Pasadena, again, our state senator. I genuinely taking, I appreciate your taking time for our listeners, Kathleen, to visit with us. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Morton. It's time to find out what's new with Boo uh, up there in Madison, Wisconsin. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay
0: tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show, here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting GulfShorePlayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, it's time to find out what's new with Boo, Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. Boo, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure.
1: Thank you, Boo. So, uh, you had mentioned off-air that you'd like to talk about circuses.
3: Yes. When are there circuses anymore? Do they exist? And when was the last time you ever went to a circus? Well, you know, Have that... you ever
1: gone to one? <clears throat> and when we first talked about it off-air, I was saying to myself, I don't even recall the last time, but now I do remember there was a circus, That came to Astero, I believe it was. And Linda and I drove up there and watched the circus. And it was quite, it was fun. It was really a a fun time. But uh, to your point, though, you just don't hear about it anymore.
3: No, I don't know if because of, you know, animal rights that they, if that in part had something to do with shutting the circuses down. I don't know that there were violations of of animal rights, but I think that probably. uh, had some sort of impact, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know. You know, they've got to set it all up. It's so labor-intensive. Is it too old-fashioned? Is that something from the past that we'll never see again? You know, my kids never went. They went to fairs.
1: Yeah, what you I know, do recall. Fair, we
3: went to fairs.
1: I do recall the high wire acts and some of the the clowns are great. I mean, it was. Uh, I I recall. And this is probably uh, within the last 10 years. I recall being entertained, really greatly entertained by the entire process. So I don't remember that many animal acts, quite frankly. But it was uh, it was amazing to see the high-wire stuff. These people are just incredible.
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, and the woman standing on the back of the horse, you know, going around in a circle. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it was just great entertainment. And it was just filled with kids. And I just thought the other day, you know, with summer they're, you know, I don't even know if they have fairs anymore because of
1: COVID. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I know, I recall being, when we lived up in Minnesota, the the uh, county fair, or the state fair up in Minnesota was just a big, big deal. I'm talking about uh, deep fried hot dogs and all those. <laughs> all those oh, yeah.
3: You, you, you deep you, fried so. sticker bars. If yeah. you can eat it, you can deep fry it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah
3: so but I, again, I don't know if you know maybe that's another thing that uh, that we've lost through the ages, but to skip on to something else which is new, certainly new to people our age, Laurel Hubbard is now she's from New Zealand and she will be the first transgender weightlifter in the Olympics. It doesn't now, she was a guy yeah. that turned into a woman, and I'm kind of confused about that.
1: I am, too. I mean, I, I would be outraged if I were a, a woman a, a weightlifter who had uh, worked so hard in order to get to the Olympics and to find out that uh, this guy decided to become a girl and was a weightlifter. I mean, I, I would imagine she will be the hands-down winner.
3: I would think so. She was, Not only is she transgender, she's also the oldest. Hmm. So it's, I mean, it's just a fascinating conundrum. I would think that for the Olympics, you would do a DNA test. And if the DNA test came back that you're a guy, then you compete as a guy.
1: Or if you're transgender, then have a transgender event. So, in other words, if you're going to uh, want to compete, you compete against other transgenders.
3: I don't think there are that many in the world.
1: My point exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you, you, know, you might end up getting a gold medal because you're the only one that showed up. But, but my point is that I don't think anybody's going to pay my, that much attention to it. because It won't be that important, you know, quite frankly.
3: No, but they're
1: going to make it important. Yeah. You know, and which I got a hat off another time to really acknowledge our governor, who said, uh, you know, they said, we're going to, uh, males are going to be able to participate in female sports in uh, the NCAA. And uh, basically, Governor DeSantis says it's not happening in Florida. We're not going to have that happen. And I think the NCAA is back down. Well, I
3: think the NCAA just got shot down
1: yeah.
3: by the Supreme Court ruling yesterday that gave student athletes the right to be compensated for their image.
1: I think it, I think it's a good decision. Quite frankly, I don't know where the NCAA uh, gets the authority to put limits on what uh, how kids can be compensated. I mean, they they're given uh, room and board. Books, that kind of thing. Anyhow, so I mean, we know there's a lot of other things for uh, for young people. I think there are some limits on on. I don't know. You know, I have to. I haven't studied it carefully enough, quite frankly. But I, I think, in general, the whole idea it's a good idea because you know some of the kids that go there, aside from their skill, uh, it's their great opportunity to get a college education and go on to do great things. But you know. They don't have money for a pizza or they don't have money for anything uh, if they come mm-hmm. from from a, a poor background. So if they have an image that they can sell, if they can profit from it, why, why shouldn't they be able to do it in college?
3: Yeah, I agree. But then are they no longer amateurs? If they're being paid to participate, you know, everyone says, oh, I love amateur sports. I love college sports. It's pure. They're playing for the love of the game. They're not getting paid these fancy salaries. Is that no longer going to be the case?
1: Well, you know, Boo, I think that that horse is out of the barn a long time ago. Uh, My understanding is that, for example, professional baseball players can play in the Olympic Games. Uh, So, you know, know, we we have professional athletes that are already participating in some events. For example, how about uh, professional golfers playing in the golf event? Well,
3: that's true. For basketball players, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. so uh, I think... uh, it's it's a good it's a great point, but I think that's uh, we've crossed that one a long time ago. Uh, I don't know what the limitations might be if you're an amateur, uh, or how you retain your amateur status. I think it's got something to do with the amount of money you win, but I'm not certain about that.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm sure that it has that they'll they'll put a cap on it mm-hmm. because otherwise, just think of college recruiting and how big some of these purses can be to recruit these kids. Is that a level playing field?
1: uh, You know, you're right. And the other thing, too, is just think about the edge that it gives to larger colleges, Ohio State and uh, Wisconsin and so forth. They're going to get the edge because kids know that they're going to get bigger contracts and more notoriety if they're playing for really good coaches and good teams. So uh, I think there's a lot of unintended consequences that will come out of this decision. But, you know... Do I recall this was a nine-to-nothing decision? Yes. On the Supreme yeah. Court? Isn't that amazing? Yeah.
3: It, yeah. And then Canada went on to kind of chastise the NCAA. I mean, I guess,
1: uh, well, as you said, the horses left the barn. Yeah. He, he said... Uh, you know,
3: and sometimes, don't you go back? I mean, you think, oh, everything is so complicated now. Was it always, I mean, back when we had circuses, you know, things seemed simple then.
1: Yeah, though no, you're absolutely right. I mean, just think back to Ozzy and Harriet and uh, we'll leave it to Beaver. <laughs> All those simpler times, things have certainly moved on from there. It's just incredible how complicated and messy things have gotten. Uh, critical race theory, all these things. I mean, people are touting ideas that don't even make sense and and saying they're true and saying if you disagree with it, you're a racist, you're a a white supremacist.
3: Yeah, I know. Everyone's become very intolerant.
1: Yeah. Well, Boo...
3: See, and I think a lot of this is driven by social media. So I go B-C-A-C, before computers... After computers. Yeah, that's
1: a great point, Boo. Boo Mortensen in, in Madison, Wisconsin. Always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: You bet. My uh, pleasure.
1: Have a good one, Boo. Coming, to, coming up with a visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of uh, Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees... Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. you
0: Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's pro- we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Seaton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seaton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seaton. Tell us about Less Government.
4: Uh, I can't. There isn't any. Um, <laughs> yeah, we exist. reduced... The scope is sphere of influence of government, and it's not happening.
1: It's an aspiration, for sure. And things are kind of somewhat moving in the wrong direction right now. You, in fact, you Indeed.
4: Po- like, like, like your fifth marriage. It's the triumph of hope over experience.
1: a <laughs> <laughs> so, Good point, Seton. Uh, you wrote a great column. This is so informative and interesting. Federal infrastructure? question mark, State, local government, and crony bailouts and slush funds. You really hit the nail on the head with this one. Maybe you could tell us about it.
4: Well, I'm, I've always been opposed. I didn't know the number until recently, but just inherently I knew that the vast majority of roads don't belong to the federal government, which means the federal government shouldn't be spending money on them. You know, um, I-95 goes from Maine to Florida. Why is, why are people in Kansas and, and Hawaii paying to update it? Right. doesn't make any sense. Um, that being said, I found I, can't, I did research and found that ninety-five percent of roads, bridges, and all the infrastructure in America, electric, electrical grids, all of it, belongs to some other entity. Sixty-some percent to the private sector, thirty-some uh, percent to uh, state and local governments. Yep. So they're the one. And we've been paying these entities money all along the way. Mm-hmm. Why isn't the infrastructure updated? Good question you know, we, we, we outsource to private companies on the, on the on the prognosis on the, on the, on the idea that they're going to b- do things better and build the cost of maintaining and expanding their infrastructure into the cost of what they charge us for their services electricity or whatever right uh, you know Internet service providers do it. You know, the the, the, you know gas companies do it. The price you pay at the pump isn't for the amount of is not for the gas at the pump. It's for the next barrel of oil. Right. You know that's that's how it's supposed to work. Well, if the private companies aren't doing this, we've chosen private companies poorly. And my guess is the private companies were chosen for crony reasons, not you know capability reasons.
1: Absolutely.
4: And so a bailout to them is just more bailouts to cronies of state and local governments and federal governments. And then, of course, the state and local governments, we pay loads of taxes to these people. What the heck have they been doing with our with our money when it comes to infrastructure? You know, so I always point out that whenever somebody wants to raise taxes, the unspoken assumption is every dollar they're collecting now is being spent wisely and well.
1: Certainly and of not the case. We know
4: that isn't true, right? Because we've been, you know, we've been paying a gas tax forever. Now you can complain that it hasn't been updated uh, to inflation in 30 years, and that's a that's a legitimate point. And whose fault is inflation anyway? It's government's. But um, but where's all that money gone?
1: It's gone into you the know, general fund. A federal
4: gas tax for federal infrastructure when they own five percent of the infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> why i'm 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 still curious as to why so anyway we we've talked before about the stupid attempts to have local governments become broadband companies speaking of the internet and there have been over 450 attempts they've all ended in dismal failure and biden wanted to spend a hundred he came down to 65 in our fake negotiations, because this is all bipartisan legislative theater. They're going to jam this through via reconciliation. And all their original numbers will be low compared to what they jammed through. Uh, the Democrats just put forward a bill in the House that's not over $90 billion for government broadband.
1: Billion. The, billion. $90
4: billion. Yeah. That's what the Democrats just put forward in the House. Now... It, this is, again, this becomes a slush fund. The, 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 of course, all the, once the money goes into a, a state government or a local government's bank account, it's all fungible. That's why when we say, you, you know, I support Hamas building schools, I don't support them blowing up, you, you know, blowing up schools. Yeah. You, you can't differentiate. It's all it, money. Money is money. And what happens is, because the, the government fails at providing Internet service, they then start dipping into other pools. And there's a study out by the Phoenix Center that I cited in the piece where when, when, the, when the local government appends their attempt at being a broadband provider to their electrical company, their electric service, what they start doing is as they start hemorrhaging cash out of the broadband business, they start raising electricity prices, right, and then sh- shifting the money over to cover the losses of the broadband business. Yeah. So you know, again, this is just you're just adding to this slush fund when you when you say, "Hey, here's ninety plus billion dollars to try to make your fifth failed attempt at being a broadband provider."
1: So it's it's just incredible to think that right now the president started by asking for two point four trillion dollars. I think it was for infrastructure. Of course, it's right. Everything, and now the Democrats
4: are up to six trillion.
1: Yeah, and uh, everything is infrastructure, of course, and, all, and nothing is. Right. To your point, the point of your column is uh, when you take a look at the actual costs and whose responsibility is only ten percent of this stuff is really five five percent. Is the the government is responsible? Just incredible. It's
4: the federal government, right? Most of most of the infrastructure in the United States, sixty some percent, sixty five percent, is owned by the private sector.
1: So yeah, and
4: we know that we know that even you know there was a push starting in the eighties to get government to outsource to private companies. So then, what did donors do? They donated to campaigns, and then started private companies, and the government and and the cronies shoveled them government money. Oh, we're outsourcing. It's private sector. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, one of my favorite examples is there was $80 billion for fake energy in the 2009 stimulus, and I think 85% of it went to Obama donors. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, he wins the election, turns around, and hands them $80 billion. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we're dealing with here. The, the, the entire concept of infrastructure at the federal level is nothing more than a, a scam.
1: It is a scam, and especially uh, getting having the government get into uh, the internet. Private business. Private business makes absolutely. I mean, use.
4: here we are talking about trying to outsource and not doing very well at it, and now we're trying to insource things that have been done perfectly well by the private sector.
1: Makes no sense whatsoever. Seat Motley again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit lessgovernment.org. LessGovernment.org. And also, uh, uh, you'll find this column, by the way. And also, you can visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Linda Harden. Linda, of course, was my wife. She also writes Greetings from Paradise. It'll be interesting to find out what's on her mind. We're going to do that and more right here in The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network.
0: come back to the Bob Harton show and now here's your host
1: Bob Harton Thanks so much for joining us here on the show it's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability I proudly serve on the board they create pro- uh, policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work it's a moral imperative and you can find out more by visiting the website the fga org. We have with us my wife Linda. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, You're right. Greetings from Paradise. Anything coming up uh, soon? You gonna do any? Uh...
5: Um, you know what? I'm so busy watching the worldwide news right now. Yeah. That I mean, things are happening in Naples, and I'm watching watching them a lot. But nothing today. Okay. Nothing so, today.
1: So what's captured your interest in in worldwide news?
5: Well, this this Chinese defector mm-hmm. that has been in the news, uh, at least on the news sites that I watch, mm-hmm. very, very interesting what is going on with this, because this, this guy is a big deal. He's the head intelligence guy, and he was supposed to have come to visit his daughter mm-hmm. in February, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Totally bypassed the Biden administration and contacted his, his, uh, his contacts in in the United States. People he knew, and supposedly defected with a boatload of information.
1: Well, that's so interesting, and and, and I guess uh, the Biden administration wasn't even aware that he was here.
5: Well, the, when when this guy, his name is Dong D O N G, came over to visit his daughter, it was during the same time when um, when the Secretary of State for the Biden administration, Tony Blinken, was up in Alaska getting his head handed to him by the Chinese. Chinese. <laughs> and, and at that time, uh, the Chinese people uh, who were meeting with Blinken demanded that Dong be returned. Blinken didn't know anything did,
1: about it. Yeah. So, uh, and apparently he's been meeting with the... Uh, the
5: uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, which is which is not the FBI or the CIA, and, and that's a whole another topic of conversation.
1: It certainly is because apparently he's provided information of how the uh, FBI and the CIA have been operatives and the number of uh, you know. Actually, you know more about this. Maybe maybe you could talk about that. Well,
5: what this guy is supposedly um, has in his back pocket is information about how many spies there are infiltrated. In our universities in this country mm-hmm. they're absolutely I don't remember the number right now I should have written it down but it's a huge number he's also providing information about um, what's what sports teams what sporting uh, people have 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 been bought and paid for by the CCP what uh, I mean we, we we heard about this numerous times about you know the NBA being sold out to the
1: all, right. the, um, Disney. China, oh. G-
5: and all these people but to to the extent that they've been sold out apparently this guy is loaded for bear big companies people in congress he's got the list of everything and everybody that is sold out to the ccp and um steve bannon first reported on this one it it i forget who who actually it might have been Raheem kasan on national pulse that that broke the story initially but steve bannon had followed it but now red state did a huge article about about this guy so it's it's on um a lot of media sites Mm -hmm. and even on tucker carlson was talking about
1: it the other night too it's a big deal it is a big deal and uh the, the uh, My concern is, of course, every, if, if that information had gone to the FBI, it would have gone right down a sinkhole <laughs> we'd well, never hear about it again.
5: Well, let's just talk about the FBI and the CIA for a second. I think I sent you um, the list of everything that the FBI has known about and did nothing.
1: Nothing about for, it.
5: For years and years and years. And um, up until the, the most recent activities with the insurrection, quote-unquote insurrection on January 6th, they, they had their people in there. Yeah. They were involved in it. Yeah. Going back to when Gretchen Whitmer was supposedly um, uh, supposed to be kidnapped. Gretchen Whitmer, for anyone who doesn't know, is the is the um, whack job governor of, of Michigan who has kept her state locked down while she was flaunting off to Florida and right. going speedboating, whatever. So there was this big story about her being kidnapped. The FBI was behind that. Yeah. All these... this stuff that the FBI has been involved with is just mind-blowing, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah,
1: the Oklahoma bombing, as I recall, they are right. uh, involved in the 9-11. Uh, they, so, in other words, they... What about, the what about
5: in more recent years, that, that huge shooting in Las Vegas? Yeah. They knew about this guy and did nothing. It, the list is just... Incredible. Yeah. So the CIA and the FBI. I mean, we long, we've long heard that the CIA is is not working in our best interest,
1: but apparently the FBI isn't either. Yeah, it's it's very disappointing, and you know, I certainly have questions about the Justice Department too. So, and how things are done. we, we need to get back on track, Linda. There's no question about that, and uh, we we need leadership in this country. We need leadership that's taking us in the right direction. And uh, right now, looks to me, looks like we're going in the wrong direction.
5: Um,
1: well, you
5: know, I didn't listen to uh, Trump's interview with David Brody on um, Real America's Voice yesterday. It was on at 3 o'clock. And David Brody uh, used to be with Christian Broadcasting. He may still be, but he's on uh, um, uh, Real America's Voice now. And his questions were really very telling. He asked Trump... He says, "Well, did you, uh, you know, how do you feel about losing the election and and whatever?" He says, "I never lost the election." He says, "I never conceded." Yeah. And and David Brody, to to his credit, actually asked him probing questions like, "What do you mean by that?" What he says, "There are a lot of people who are saying that you're going to come back, and um, in a short amount of time. And how do you feel about that?" He says, "Well." He says, "I I'm not going to comment on on that." Uh, he says, "There are a lot of things going on behind the scenes right now." And David Brody said to him, "Well, um, what would you what would you tell your your followers who have been so um, depressed since this election of of Joe Biden since November third and whatever? What would you tell them?" And Donald Trump says, "Stay tuned." And David Brody says, "Well, is that is that all you're going to give me? I've got to push back on." On this, Mr. President, can you please? What do you mean? Stay tuned. He says, "Yeah, that's all I'm going to give you right now." <laughs> stay
1: Just tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah.
5: <clears throat> Plus, we know we know what's going on behind the scenes. There's so much with this with this blow up of now, um, Dr. Fauci and the and the Mark Zuckerberg being in cahoots with with Dr. Fauci and giving money to the NIH and the Wuhan lab. That's blowing up. Everything's blowing up all over the place. Yes, Plus, that, and the election
1: audits, too. And the audits are just, uh, that's not so much behind the scenes. That's uh, out there. And uh, it's getting more. It's amazing that uh, we're going to know in a couple of weeks, I guess, what's happened in Maricopa County. Uh, but also, apparently, the the breaking news in Georgia is just so indicting. It's so criminal that what uh, Raff, Raffenberger, is that his name, or the Secretary of State? Right
5: brad Raffensberger and
1: and they're just he's just
5: freaking, and these people in, in Georgia who have been, been involved um, with the election have hired criminal attorneys yeah. now let's see if I did something if i didn't do anything wrong, why on earth would I hire a criminal defense attorney just just throwing that out there
1: Well, I guess uh, you've you got to keep in mind you, you raise a good point, but uh, Michael Flynn didn't have an attorney when he was meeting with the FBI. So, you know, <laughs> you know, if you become a target of these people, it's just unbelievable what can happen. So, my my pointing is that. But,
5: but they're but they're only being targeted by by people who want to know what really happened in the election. Yeah. And apparently, um, Arizona is nothing compared to the cesspool of voting fraud that's in Georgia and in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And and oh, by the way, I've I've been telling you about how. Um, huge Steve Bannon's show is, is reaching, how many people um, they're reaching. Well, last week, um, Boris Epstein was on with, with uh, Steve Bannon and said what you, as the War Room Posse, as they're known as, what you need to do is call the people uh, in Pennsylvania and say we need subpoenas for these, for these ballots, for, the, for these audits to take place. And they posted the the list of people to call, like the president of the Senate, whatever, with their phone numbers. This guy, I can't remember his name, is Doug no. Allen or something, whatever. He was just like, oh, I'm, you know, the election is over. We we need to move on. Maybe we could pass some election reform. Two, the war room posse and everybody who was given these numbers by Boren Epstein, Ep, Boris Epstein and Steve Bannon got on the phone to these people. And now this guy saying, well, in Pennsylvania, a president of the Senate, um, Doug, said, well... You know, maybe we do need a subpoena to get – <laughs> these. the The people are speaking out there, and it's turning the tide. It's so exciting to watch. I can't stop watching this. Yeah, you know,
1: it's it's so interesting. You know, just a few people can really decide to make a difference making those phone calls. they You know, certainly people respond to that. That's the uh, – w- what kind of input do they get? They get uh, phone calls and letters and stuff. That makes a difference. Just, if- just like what I told
5: you about this morning about that, that school board and – in uh, Randolph, New Jersey, where they were going to take all the holidays off the school calendar and just call them a holiday. There's no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, no anything. And and people, who knows if they're with the war room posse or whatever, but all these parents showed up at the school board and they are just pissed as they can be and just said, we're going to just throw your story behinds out the door if you don't put those holidays back on the school calendar. And guess what? They, put they the, did. They put the holidays. It was great. <laughs> it was just great. What a great story that well,
1: is. Well, and so, uh, you know, the elected officials do respond, uh, and it's just great to see that, especially in school boards, it's great to see people turning up. And people are uh, really—I think—they're just getting to the point where they've had it, and so they are going to make phone calls. They are going to send letters, and it's—and it's a great thing.
5: Well, and look at all these parents that, and—and and even kids who have gotten up to speak at these school board meetings, and that little girl that, that, that we saw—that that saw, that, that <laughs> that nine-year-old little girl that we suggested—that was in Minnesota, and he, she was not very nice to the governor there. I mean, she she called him out too. It was
1: great. Yeah, it was, it was good stuff. It was about BLM posters being. In, in the school. And, and she, she said basically, Look, you promised you wouldn't have this stuff in school, but I went there, there it is. And uh, she was indignant, she was angry, she was articulate. Nine years old, I would have been so proud of that young lady. God bless her. Yeah. I mean,
5: she, that was powerful to watch. It really
1: was. Linda, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, will be with us. Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of books, his two latest uh Follow the leader and its uh, sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.